first three days, I sat there basically in shock. I couldn't believe that this happened to me, the humiliation, the degradation of it, sitting here on death row for something I didn't do. People who commit mass murders, people who rape and torture children. You know, there are horrible cases out there. And sometimes people do things that are bad enough, and they lose their right to live. The idea that we are trying to find a humane way to commit an inhumane act has always been troublesome to me. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hello and welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network. This is Craig Williams coming to you from Southern California. I write a legal blog called May It Please the Court. My co-host, Bob Ambrosi, is off today. But before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Clio, an online practice management software program for lawyers at goclio.com. Also as our show sponsor, Clio is going to be hosting their Clio Cloud Conference in Chicago on September 22nd. To learn more about this event, go to cliocloudconference.com. Well, since 1976, there have been approximately 1,386 executions in the United States. Among them, we've seen executions by electrocution, gas chamber, hanging, lethal injection, and firing squad. Of those executions, we've had 46 botched in some way, leading to reports of suffering apparently disproportionate to our constitutional limits. Of the 46 botched executions, lethal injections comprised 34 of those. Some blame lack of participating medical professionals, while others blame aging and expired drugs, and still others are calling for the firing squad as a more humane way to implement capital punishment. So here to discuss this topic, we have three guests. First, we'd like to welcome Judge Alex Kaczynski of the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, where he has served since his appointment on November 7, 1985. Prior to his appointment, Judge Kaczynski occupied other prestigious positions, including Chief Judge of the U.S. Claims Court and Office of the Counsel to the President. Welcome, Your Honor. Good morning, Craig. How are you? Excellent. And in addition, we have joining us today Ron Kiney. Mr. Kiney is an exonerated death row inmate who was just nine days from his execution in the gas chamber when the actual murderer confessed to the crime. Today, he's an assistant director of membership and training for Witness to Innocence, an anti-death penalty organization, and the leading voice of that organization is exonerated death row survivors, including Ron Kiney. Welcome, Ron Kiney. Good morning. How are you? Excellent. And finally, we have us joining today Mike Farrell. Mike played the Captain B.J. Honeycutt for eight years on the hit television show MASH, as well as other roles like Jim Hansen in another series called Providence. In the 90s, he served for three years as a member of the state's California Commission on Judicial Performance. Mr. Farrell is a lifelong opponent of the death penalty and has been the president of the Death Penalty Focus since 1994. Welcome, Mike Farrell. Thanks very much. Nice to be with you. We're very glad to have you as well. The Eighth Amendment of the United States Constitution prohibits the United States government from imposing cruel and unusual punishment. In addition, the Supreme Court's found that the rule applies to states through the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. And more recently, in 2008, in Bays v. Rees, with a 7-2 decision, the Supreme Court found the use of lethal injection was not considered cruel and unusual punishment. 
I think we'd like to start with uh, Ron Kiney. So, Ron, as someone who lost the liberty in nearly your life, can you tell us a little bit about your experience on death row? Well, in a nutshell, I was convicted of a murder in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I was almost two years on death row for a murder that a police officer had done. I was roughly nine days from my execution date, my first date, when that police officer walked into a church, said he experienced an epiphany walking down the street, walked in, confessed to the resident preacher there, and that's what started my exoneration. Of course, later on, he had to prove that he did it. He brought witnesses and everything. And because of my case, because of all the corruption by the officials in my case, the assistant prosecutor was disbarred and three detectives were fired from their positions. This is very, very rare in a lot of these cases. Usually these people go unpunished when they do that. You want more? <laughs> well, let's turn to Judge Kaczynski at this point. Uh, in the Bayes versus Rees decision, the plurality opinion, they held that the first drug in a multi-drug cocktail has to render the inmate unconscious. Otherwise, there is a substantial, constitutionally unacceptable risk that the inmate will suffer a painful suffocation while on the gurney. Given the recent botched executions in Ohio, Arizona, and Oklahoma, what's your belief about how lethal injections should be handled, or should we pursue a different methodology? Well, first of all, when you say botched executions, I, I'm not sure uh, that is the case. I, I wasn't there. I uh, don't have any evidence on it. I know a little bit about the Woods execution because I was involved in the case before the execution, and as best we can tell, it just took him a long time to die. I don't know about the other ones, the conflicting reports. And what the botched execution is, is, uh, is a little bit of a uh, you know, question that's up for grabs. The fact that it takes somebody a long time to die does not make it a botched execution. If you look at the Supreme Court's opinion uh, in Davis's Rees, uh, actually the opinion, uh, and this was a 7-2 opinion, not just a plurality. Uh, seven justices were convinced in that case that the three-judge cocktail is not cruel and unusual. And this does not preclude um, the possibility that in another case, using a different set of drugs, they might come to a different conclusion. Uh, in uh, Woods, they used a, um, uh, a different set of drugs. I think it was a two-drug cocktail. And every time they use a different combination of drugs, this leads to a different constitutional calculus. But, you know, the reason that uh, they are using different cocktails is because drug penalty opponents have put a great deal of pressure on drug companies not to provide the drugs that have been proven to be effective in executions. So the people who suffer are the people who are uh, actually being executed because uh, the state cannot use, uh, no longer has available the drugs that are uh, used and have been proven effective to uh, cause a, uh, uh, a uh, swift and painless death. And Mike, what's your perspective on this situation? What's your position? I think the fact that Mr. Woods had to be injected uh, three times or more in the process of dying indicated that there was some something uh, ineffective in the drugs that were being used. And this is, of course, always the, the problem with these things. One, uh, they, they aren't usually administered by a um, professional. Um, they are uh, effectively experimenting with ways in which to kill people, whether or not the pressure from the uh, abolition community is responsible for the drug companies not providing these drugs is, I think, uh, not exactly the, sig the significant point. The significant point is that, uh, as I think your question initially in stating the premise argues, 
that the lethal injection method is supposed to be more humane, uh, more humane than we found methods we found in the past. But the idea that we are trying to find a humane way to commit an inhumane act is, has always been uh, troublesome to me. Uh, we as a society have need, need to wrestle with, uh, as Judge Kaczynski has recently stated, the willingness to actually embrace the idea that what we are doing is killing people, and we're killing people in manners that are, we're trying to find a way to do it that, that makes us feel better rather than uh, concerned about the way in which we're dispatching individuals. Mr. Kiney, you disagreed with Judge Kaczynski's dissent in the Woods case, uh, where his execution was stayed until he received information about drugs and credentials and and, uh, other protocols. What's the reasons for your disagreement? Well, I agree, basically, that people do have the right to know where the drugs come from and what they contain. My problem with the dissent is the cavalier attitude towards executions, which promotes brutality promotes well, the brutality of firing squads with no respect for the sanctity of life. Quoting the smug statement of Justice Scalia, how inevitable a quiet death by lethal injection, that's deplorable. Scalia believes the Constitution is etched in stone. It should never, ever be changed from what the founding forefathers said. Now, these are the four same forefathers who believed in slavery and themselves owned slaves, and tried to subjugate an entire race of people here in the United States. Now, are these the people we're supposed to adhere to? Are these our heroes? Judge Kaczynski? Well, the Constitution was amended to repeal slavery because it clearly did provide for slaves. It has a specific compromise which uh, specifically mentions slaves. It also specifically mentions death penalty uh, in, more than, uh, in more than one place where it talks about uh, the state taking life, liberty, or property without due process of law. It prohibits that, so obviously it contemplates the taking of life. So uh, you can argue only once with Justice Scalia, but uh, the fact is he is on the Supreme Court and uh, Mr. Kiney is not, and the Constitution says what it says. Uh, now we can debate whether this is a good idea to execute people or not, but uh, I thought uh, you know, we have to accept the fact that, in fact, executions are lawful in this country. And the question we have to ask is, how do you go about doing it in a way that is um, appropriate? And what I said in my dissent is, I don't think it's appropriate to use drugs uh, do that. I think it, it masks the brutality of it. Uh, I also think it, uh, it uh, causes serious risks that uh, the people doing it, as, as Mike said, uh, uh, might not be have the training uh, or experience to do it properly. Firing squads are quick, they're effective, they, uh, and uh, there are plenty of people who know how to shoot a gun. Was your dissent, Judge Kaczynski, partially tongue-in-cheek to say that if we're not willing to face the brutality of death, then we shouldn't have uh, a death penalty? What I said was, I think I wasn't tongue-in-cheek at all. I, I'm quite serious. The executions are brutal things. They uh, are an exercise of considerable force by the state. But so is life imprisonment. Have you ever been into a prison? Have you ever been into a maximum security prison? You know, those things are hugely brutal. I think it's in some ways worse than uh, the death penalty. So uh, we have to be very careful when the state exercises force. But uh, in the end, unless we say there's no criminal law at all, I think at some point we have to accept the fact that uh, 
the state will do terribly um, brutal things for people. And Mike, if I may, go ahead. Well, as Judge Kaczynski just mentioned, the Constitution is is has been changed and and can be changed. There is a Supreme Court uh, holding that evolving standards of decency that mark the progress of a maturing society require, it seems to me, such change. Um, and I, it seems to me that the argument that uh, prison is um, somehow more brutal than killing misses the point. The point is that the fact that prison our prison conditions are hideous in this country, and certainly solitary confinement and uh, uh, the life without parole and the kinds of things that are being offered uh, without any change in the way in which uh, prisoners are treated would probably support that argument. But it seems to me that's a false argument when we, if we look at the options, what we can do is change the way in which we deal with people who break the law and recognize the fact that there's always a reason for human behavior. And sometimes those reasons can be uh, understood and some of the behaviors can be changed um, so that what we need to do is have a prison uh, criminal justice system that really responds to the human condition in a humane manner. You know, well, I don't Ron, think you, there was anything been, you could have done to John Wayne Gacy uh, to change his ways or to reform, reform him or uh, Richard Ramirez. Uh, I mean, these people were mass murderers. They uh, brutalized people for fun. Uh, and I don't think there's anything we could have done to make them into good citizens. Uh, sometimes. Uh, Excuse me, does that mean our government should do the same? Should they be mass murderers? Should they brutalize people? Sure, exactly. people, it's, it's brutal to kill people, put them in prison, but do we have to extend the brutality? Do we have to keep it going? Or can we be a little more civilized about it? Well, uh, uh, you bring up the Gacy's, how about, how about the innocent people? How about myself and 143 other people that are on death row and found to be innocent? What about the people who have been executed and are innocent? Where's the justice for them? Why do we have to have this type of brutality? A lot of these people would not have died needlessly if they'd had time, more time in appeals, if we didn't have the death penalty. There's a lot of reasons. But it's brutal, I understand, but it doesn't have to be brutal. We don't have to be brutal as a society. Well, I am not aware of anybody in the modern death penalty ever since Greg vs. Georgia that has been executed that's innocent. Been no, would you like me to cite a few? Todd Willingham, Ruben Cantu, Carlos de Luna, Larry Griffin. I mean, I could go on and on with these. Well, you could go on and on, but you'd be wrong. No, I wouldn't. Mean, these are people who are executed. They're innocent. Uh, I'm sorry. Well, that's this is just not a fact. This, the, this the, is you know, there is a judge. I, w I would ask you to consider the fact that there is an institutional imperative to denying the fact that innocent people have been killed, but evidence subsequent to the execution of Cameron Todd Willingham, for example, has certainly pointed to his innocence. The same is true with Carlos de Luna. The same is true with Ruben Cantu. And in fact, there have been suggestions that the same is true with a man by the name of Thomas Thompson here in California. Well, I know. I, I'm not very familiar with Thompson's case. There's no doubt he was guilty. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. I, well, I sir, there is doubt. Well, I, I know. Have you reviewed all the evidence in that case enough to make a decision like that? We have a process by which we make decisions. We convict people based on proof beyond a reasonable doubt. We have juries, we have appeals, we have instructions, we have a whole set of uh, controls. Does anybody ever get convicted who isn't guilty? I think that does happen, but it's not limited to the death penalty. 
It happens to people who get life in prison. It happens to people who get 20 years in prison and 10 years in prison. It happens uh, occasionally. It happens far less often, if at all, when somebody gets a death penalty because that's when uh, we actually take a very close look at the case and make sure the guy is, in fact, guilty, uh, much closer than if he got life in prison. How does it get wrong so often, then? The best thing that can happen to you is to get the death penalty because the chances of if you be exonerated are much greater. And, Mike, what's your sense of whether we should have a death penalty at all? Well, of course, we should not have a death penalty. Uh, the, the, the rest of the world, uh, the, all the Western nations and uh, most of the develop, almost all the developed nations in the world have given up the death penalty and have, have found that they can do very well without it. In fact, the idea of uh, life in prison without parole is... Uh, a nonsensical idea from the perspective of many people in uh, in the developed world. So the the notion that we need to have a death penalty really fails to understand that the reason we have a death penalty is because of political cowardice. Most people in this country in positions of authority understand that we have a system that is racist at its core, that is used only against uh, the poor, that uh, it is entrapping and killing the innocent. Um, and that there is no no justifiable reason to continue it, particularly because what people don't understand is the dehumanizing aspect of it, not only to the people who are killed, but to the people who are required to do the killing. And that involves all of us. Ron, what's your sense of Judge Kaczynski's point that inmates that are sentenced to death would be more likely to be found innocent given the intense pressure on finding them innocent compared to someone who just has life in prison? People really don't look at those cases as much as a death penalty case because there's no urgency. There's not a life to save. They look more, if they're going to do this type of work, look for justice. They're going to try to find, stop somebody from dying. That's more immediate. But the thing is, too, it's not okay just to put somebody on death row and let them go. Some of these guys have been there 10, 20, 30 years, their whole life, everything that they've missed. I don't want to get into all that right now, but is that a just punishment for being innocent? Is this a just punishment for a system that made a mistake and it keeps making these mistakes over and over and over? Judge Kaczynski, what is your sense of uh, the death penalty? Are you in favor of it, Do you, or is it simply a matter of you're sworn to enforce it? Well, I'm fairly sworn to enforce it, so that's as far as my judicial role is concerned. Uh, as a citizen, I would limit it to uh, the worst cases, but I think that some people who really deserve to die, and I think that, uh, that as a society we do an injustice by letting them live. Uh, the uh, the uh, Richard Ramirez's and the uh, Wayne Gacy's of the world, and um, you know, I could name half a dozen or a dozen other uh, killers like that. Um, people who commit mass murders, people who rape and torture children. Uh, I mean, there, you know, there are some horrible cases out there, and sometimes people do things that are bad enough that they lose their right to live. And Mike, how do you respond to the family of a murder victim who wants to see the murderer put to death? Of course, I understand anybody uh, feeling rage and horror and anger at the loss of a loved one. I lost a loved one in in my experience. Um, But the idea that is put into people's minds by prosecutorial forces that somehow they're going to feel better, they're going to have some kind of conclusion, some sort of closure as a result of the the death of the perpetrator, assuming they got the right person, uh, is nonsensical. Murder Victims Families for Reconciliation is an organization made up of people who are the loved ones, the family members of murder victims, 
who have come to the conclusion that there is no value in having another death uh, to simply uh, uh, pay for the death of their loved one because once the perpetrator is dispatched, their loved one will still be dead. There still will be a hole in their lives. There is no closure as is promised by our system. And those who, who continue to insist that they want to have it, I certainly understand it. I don't share their view, and I don't think that I, as a citizen of the United States, should be forced to participate in the death of another human being as a result of their inability to deal with their own anger and frustration and rage. What I'd rather do is put the energy and the time and the money that is used for the death system into counseling services and the sort of support systems that family members need in a situation like that. We need to have a system, we need to have a society, it seems to me, that's a little more responsive to the uh, to the humanity that is required for us as a society to be the civilized society we're supposed to be. I think what, what uh, Judge Kaczynski was talking about when he said that uh, being on death row is better for people because their their sentences are to be more likely to be analyzed carefully and therefore if they are incorrectly uh, convicted they are more likely to be found innocent is rather than a justification, it's an indictment of the system. And that's what we need to do is take a look at this system we have forced on ourselves, this system that's based on punishment and brutality, and find an alternative, and that there are alternatives available to us. Mike, how do you respond to Judge Kaczynski's point about the inability to be able to reform or resolve any issues with mass murderers like John Wayne Gacy and Richard Ramirez? Is there a death? Is there a point that there's a death penalty that's justified for mass murderers? No, in my view, it, it strikes me as odd to be able to say I can think of half a dozen people uh, who deserve to die, and as a result of that, we have a system where over three thousand people are on our death rows, many of them innocent, like Ron Tiny was, is, and um, and as a result of this need to dispatch the the horror stories, the monsters that uh, Judge Kaczynski and others can sort of call up at will. Um, instead of putting them in prison, instead of studying them, instead of trying to treat them if they're treatable, uh, instead of keeping society safe from them and them safe from others and others safe from them, instead of doing that, we have this system that is spending incredible amounts of money in a society that needs those money, those dollars for schools and police officers and uh, health care and all the things that are that are going begging. And it seems to me that we have lost ourselves in a uh, in, in a kind of syndrome of necessity. John Wayne Gacy exists, therefore John Wayne Gacy means that we should have a death system and we should be putting people to death, whether they're innocent or guilty, and if they happen to be innocent, we'll deny their innocence. You know, Ron, that's, not good, that's not a very good answer. I mean, the question is, should we put John Wayne Gacy to death? Uh, and then, if I may, then, then then we can talk about other people. Uh, no, you know, the, yeah, we don't have we don't have to put everybody to death to to say that John Wayne Gacy and Richard Ramirez and people like that deserve to die. Yeah, if we bring up John Wayne Gacy and some of the most horrible cases we can think of, then we also have to pull up uh, Joe Lunchbucket. Joe Lunchbucket came home early from work and caught his wife in a sack with somebody else and killed the man or the woman or both of them or something. Now, that's not a John Wayne Gacy, and there is a chance of redemption here. These guys will go to prison. 
They'll never kill again. There's no reason to execute them. You're not protecting society from anything. This guy, possibly alcohol, had something to do with it, drugs or something like that. This is not a monster. This is not what we call the worst of the worst. This is not what the death penalty is designed for. But they're going to be sitting on death row just like the rest of them. Whether they're good or bad, uh, so, it's not so, the worst. I'll, I'll the worst that gets it anymore. I'll give you. I'll give you Joe Lunch bucket. You give me John Van Gacy, and then we and then we've got a deal. Uh, you know, so if, if, if if you agree that John Wayne Gacy and Richard Ramirez and people like that do deserve to die, I agree with you. Yeah, I think Joe Lunch. No, I don't believe killing anybody brings oh. anything back. Doesn't bring the doesn't bring the victim back. Doesn't bring closure to the family. It's against God. I mean, I could go on for hours and hours of why it's wrong. It's just killing anybody is wrong. All right, so why would there's no humane uh, way Joe, to kill Joe, anybody? Joe it's wrong. Well, why raise Joe Lunchbucket? Well, I brought up Judge Bucket because of John Wayne Gacy. If you got the worst of the worst, you got to get the mildest cases also, which make no, up the majority no, of them. No, there's not fallacy. that many monster mass murders out there, that's, but there's a whole lot of guys that have basically a scenario like I described. No, that's a fallacy. You do not have to have a death penalty that includes Joe Lunchbucket. You can have one that just includes mass murders and people who torture and people who rape children. You could have that. And if, and if, and if that, so if would that you write pilot? Would you uh, initiate a law to start that? Well, I, I have long advocated uh, having uh, a much more limited death penalty, limited to to only the most. Uh, I mean, I, I wrote articles about this twenty years ago. Um, yeah, if, is if that a compromise you're at? You say that you would go for? There is no doubt that John Wayne Gacy was guilty. There's no doubt. There's no doubt. Not a shadow of a doubt that Richard Ramirez was guilty. It's not a question that they, you know, that, that they, uh, or John McVeigh, uh, the guy who blew up the, the federal building and, and killed... Timothy. Uh, Timothy McVeigh, sorry, Timothy McVeigh. Um, there's no doubt that these people were guilty. Uh, the question is, can they be reformed, or is there, is there an injustice in putting them to death? But you don't have to sweep in... Uh, uh, people that commit much less heinous crimes. And then we run into the problem. A lot of these uh, people are convicted, not because they did anything wrong, but because of corrupt prosecutors and judges. And again, so we throw out the baby with the wash? No, we don't. We throw out the wash and we keep the baby. Mike, no. is there a is there a compromise yeah. that's available here for, this, for the people that support I don't think this is something on which the, the compromise that we have made in order to satisfy the Judge Kaczynski's of this world that say we must execute certain people because they don't deserve to live, uh, is that we have a system that entraps the Ron Kainis of this world and the uh, and kills the Cam and Todd Willinghams of this world. And the, the compromise need not be, if you want to have that compromise, let's take the half dozen people that Judge uh, Kaczynski says uh, don't deserve to live and put them in a very specialized institution wherein you can determine whether or not it's possible that those people can be treated and reformed. And if not, you can keep them there for the rest of their natural life, a punishment that is as egregious as one can imagine, and, and it does not require that we stoop to the level of the murderer and mur take a life. I, I find this, this notion that uh, uh, allowing ourselves to stoop to this level because of the need to ex uh, to uh, eliminate uh, the John Wayne Gacy's of this world to be so defeatist and so kind of negative and uh, and uncivilized and 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 uh, ignorant that it's astonishing to me that we as a civilized society would accept it. Gentlemen, we need to take a quick break, and before we move on to our next segment, we'll hear a message from our sponsor. 
Hi, my name is Kate Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No. With most cloud computing providers, moving your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And even if you have an existing legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio, Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and with us today is Judge Alex Kaczynski from the United States Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit, Mr. Ronald Kiney from Witness to Innocence, and Mike Farrell from Death Penalty Focus. Before the break, we've been talking about whether or not there's a a position where mass murderers might be held responsible and put to death, and maybe other people not. But the question really that I'd like to tune to at this point is, Mike, what efforts are being made to repeal the death penalty? I mean, it's obvious that it's only going to happen through a constitutional amendment, given our status right now. I'm not sure it only can happen through a constitutional amendment. It can happen through a recognition of the Constitution, a Constitution that is, as we discussed earlier, capable of an evolutionary understanding. If we simply determine, if the Supreme Court simply determines that it is the will of the people that the that the death penalty should go away, as as is the case today in 18 states in our country, uh, uh, six having given it up in the last seven years, um, the people will speak. Here in California, we had Proposition 34, which was a, to eliminate the use of the death penalty. It lost by a very small number of voters, and I think if, if tried again, uh, it should prevail, as um, Judge Kaczynski's colleague, Judge Allerton, pointed out. We are uh, we are spending 184 million dollars every year here in California alone to maintain a death system that has not been used because it is so bollocked up and has been uh, declared unusable by uh, certain uh, members of the judiciary. Uh, to the fact that we've had a moratorium now for the last seven years. Um, we are wasting time, we're wasting money, and we're wasting our, the intellect of a good number of people uh, debating an issue which should not be an issue. It should not exist in this country, as it does not exist in most developed countries in the rest of the world. Judge Kaczynski, there have been apparently 144 exonerated death row survivors in the United States. Um, given that we sh- we shouldn't be putting innocent people to death, uh, what's your assessment of the the death penalty based on that statistic? Well, it sounds to me like it's, uh, our system works pretty well. 144 people got off. I don't know of anybody who's been executed who's been guilty. Uh, sounds like our system works. Uh, there's no guarantee in any criminal justice system that you're going to get 100 uh, percent accuracy. Uh, we do our best, but you're going to have mistakes. And uh, whether the mistakes cost somebody 20, 30 years of their life, whether it means you stick them in a cage like an animal for the rest of their life, or whether you execute them, these are all very grave mistakes. We should try to avoid them. Uh, but the fact that there are some mistakes or the, that eventually are corrected 
uh, does not mean that uh, the system is, is defective. Ron, what efforts are being made by your group to repeal the death penalty? Uh, let's find it by what we are. We're a group of exonerated death row inmates. We were all on death row, all found guilty, guilty beyond any reasonable doubt by a jury of our peers and were deemed not worthy of life anymore. We all sat on death row waiting for our executions and something came along. Normally, not anything within the judicial system. Normally, it's something outside of the system that comes in to help to find these people that, that are innocent. What we do, we are essentially a speaker's bureau now. We go all over universities, law schools, colleges, all over the United States, and we speak on the death penalty. We put a lot of literature out. As a matter of fact, I just co-authored a textbook on that's being used by law students all over the United States, and it's on death penalty and what we do. And we're out to end the death penalty, and we're winning a state a year, basically, right now. We're winning. We're going to win this. The death penalty is going to be over in the United States. I just hope it's in my lifetime. If I can only add to that, um, Judge Kaczynski's position seems to be that uh, it's uh, a demonstration of the efficiency of the system that these 144 people were exonerated, and in fact, almost all of them came about as a result of the work that was necessary to be done against the system because it was in the system's interest to not admit error and to continue to cover up the mistakes that were made and not they allow for the, the understanding that these individuals were, in fact, wrongly convicted. They were not exonerated because of a system that works. They were exonerated in spite of the system. Judge Kaczynski? Well, of course. I mean, uh, the, that's how the system works. Some people get acquitted, and those people are not there to complain, and that system works one way. And then, of course, once there is a conviction, and, you know, the people who have been acquitted go home, uh, there are some who are left, and the system, um, you know, then corrected itself. But this is, you know, what we're talking about is not limited to the death penalty. It is true of all criminal cases. And, uh, you know, to, to raise this in this part of the discussion of death penalty is a little misleading. Uh, if you have doubts about how our criminal justice system operates, and if you are worried that there are too many mistakes, then we need to revise the system from the bottom up, not, uh, not limited to the death penalty. Uh, I do want to pick up on something Mike said. You know, Mike said, uh, oh, we need the Supreme Court to reinterpret the Constitution to reflect the popular will. But, of course, if the people don't want a death penalty, they know how to repeal it. Uh, it's been put to a vote in California, and the people rejected it. It's been put to a vote in other states, and uh, other states have repealed the death penalty. But uh, we don't need the Supreme Court. We don't need judges to do this. If the people do not want a death penalty, all they have to do is repeal it. Uh, Congress can repeal the federal death penalty. They haven't done it. Uh, Thirty some states have uh, enacted and not repealed the death penalty. Why don't we ask the people to speak to their elected representatives? I'm sorry, we need to kind of wrap up. But before we wrap up, Ron, I wanted to ask you one final question that none of us on this phone call, other than you, have experienced, and very few people in the world have experienced. What is it like? What kind of thoughts go through your head when you're sitting on death row? The first three days, I sat there basically in shock. I couldn't believe that this happened to me, the humiliation, the degradation of it, sitting here on death row for something I didn't do. And here's a system 
that I believed in all my life, that the American system, I've always heard it's the best in the world, yet it failed me. It failed me in a way that now I'm going to die, and I really believed in this. And I look at some of the other people on death row. Sure, there's some people down there, which I, I would not go out and have coffee with. But then I'd learn later on in the process of what happens and why there's people on death row that didn't do anything, and it's corruption. In my case, they were covering up for a police officer, so they completely framed me. They manufactured fabricated evidence. That they used jailhouse snitches, uh, everything that they did to me, and I see how they're doing it to these other people. And I look at our judicial system now, I look at it a different way. It scares me. I love my government. I mean, I love my country, but I, I live in fear of my own government because of what happened. And I see it happening time after time again. I see it keep happening to other people. That's one of the reasons I do what I do. I got to try to stop this. I understand. I'm trying to give Thank back. You. Thank you very much for that. Well, we've reached the end of our program. It's time to wrap up with your final thoughts and your contact information. So, Mike Farrell, let's turn to you with your final thoughts and contact information for Death Penalty Focus. Death Penalty Focus is www.deathpenalty.org. Or if they want to email me, it's mike at deathpenalty.org. I, I, I just wish that, you know, the complacency I hear on Judge Kaczynski's part, I understand that I don't appreciate um, about the system and the errors in the system and the way the system is self-correcting because uh, the system is only corrected by uh, the egregious demonstrations of its ineffectiveness and inappropriateness and then the people's finally become uh, awakened to the reality, as, as Ron has suggested. Judge Kaczynski said in an interview I read that um, when he was asked if he had to push, the, push down the uh, hypodermic or push the button that would kill that individual, he said he didn't know if he could do that or not, and he would. And if he didn't, if he if he determined he couldn't do it, then he would have to rethink his position. I would urge him to rethink his position. I would urge him to um, consider the fact that we, as a civilized society, have better ways to deal with the malefactors, the bad actors in our society, and uh, not in. And it serves us not to um, stoop to the level of a, of a murderer or a, someone who acts out violently uh, in, a, in a society to somehow maintain that we're correcting it. It simply doesn't work. And Ron, your final thoughts and contact information, please? To see a man strapped into a gurney who is helpless, meek, couldn't hurt a person in the world, couldn't hurt a fly, to see him strapped down to be injected. The Arizona case, 15 times he was injected. It took him almost two hours to die, writhing in agony. I believe that is a little bit of cruel and unusual. Out of 220 nations that we have in the world today, we only have roughly 20 that believe in capital punishment. We are the only Western civilized society, country, besides Belarus, who has the death penalty. Long ago, they've all figured out it's archaic, it's barbaric, it's morally wrong, and it's not indicative of a civilized society, especially a society like the United States. We hold our hand out and aids the people all over the world, yet at home, we kill our own people. You can contact me at my name, R-O-N-K-E-I-N-E, at yahoo.com, or through my office at witness to Innocence. Dot org. Great. Thank you very much. And Judge Kaczynski. 
Well, I saw some more about it, and, you know, I wouldn't have any trouble pulling the trigger on somebody like John Wayne Gacy or Richard Ramirez or uh, Timothy McVeigh. I think, uh, as for the rest, I think we need to be very careful in imposing the death penalty. I, I think when it comes to the worst murders, like the John Wayne Gacy's and Richard Ramirez's and Timothy McVeigh's, I would not have any trouble pulling the trigger on those guys. And uh, as for the rest, I think we need to be very careful. I think we generally need to be very careful in our criminal justice system. I think corruption, which is uh, what Mr. Kiney mentioned, I think uh, is a serious problem uh, in law enforcement and uh, prosecution, not in all cases, but in, in some cases. And I think that's something to be watched out for, whether it involves a death penalty or any other criminal punishment. I think uh, we need to be very careful with that. And, um, you know, in general, I think we ought to be skeptical of any government use of power against individuals. And I think we are far too accepting of uh, much of what the criminal justice system does when it comes to cases other than a death penalty. Uh, yet we have something like two million people in prison, and many of them in horrible conditions, and I think that's where we ought to be um, directing our efforts to perform. Well, gentlemen, that wraps it up for us. Thank you so much for participating. I'm Craig Williams. Thank you for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.